it's on us to just kind of pull the levers and make sure that we have everything kind of lining up. Whether you know, and so it's and it's really kind of does runway. I'm sorry, does revenues really line up with and continue to line up with the plan that we have? Great, let's keep going. If not, then we tweak and we kind of make those updates. And so it's that live. It's that live live tweaking and running as you go, which makes it fun to off a cliff and build an airplane on the way down. Yeah. yeah. Hayden, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to be speaking with you, and I want to actually start off by having you set the stage for us. You meet with Chuck Hamill, the CEO of Pitt, Ohio. Yep. They're, plenty of people aren't even aware of this, a local company in Pittsburgh, more than $500 million dollar market cap the concept is to spin out a software that's been built in-house here as its own independent company how does that conversation go how do you even get to a conversation like that with someone in that position that's a fantastic question because it actually started probably nine months before that right so i helped start uh, another company in the trucking space and we were looking at autonomous vehicle technology i'm sorry the electric vehicle technology and trying to help with fuel savings and help to use regenerative braking with trucks as an add-on module. And so with that whole with that whole company, one of the things that I did was call on Pitt Ohio and Chuck Hamlin. And uh, he's an amazing he's an amazing person and he's very, very easy to talk to and he's very easy to get a hold of in some regards because I called the front desk and asked Debbie, who's also phenomenal, and she said, Hey, I'm looking to talk to Chuck. And she's all right. Let me patch it through. I thought I'd have to do some sweet talking or something. Yeah, no, yeah. but it was you had like your objections. Ex- exactly, right I was ready to roll. <laughs> and she patched me right through. And I talked to Chuck, and we started talking about what we were doing and kind of how we were trying to change the industry. And he got really excited, and we set up a meeting. And so came in and started uh, started talking in there, and and started to create a, a pretty good relationship with him. And I ended up leaving that company. But when I did, Chuck said, "Look, you've got to come work for me." So I was finishing up my MBA at Carnegie Mellon, and uh, and so we set up a meeting to to talk with him and his CFO about doing some consulting work. And so with a little bit of background in, in trucking at that point, so I came in and started to work on a lot of different projects for him in Pitt, Ohio, and a lot of different initiatives like carbon calculation in the LTL industry or how to, what is the effect of that Uber for trucking type model? What's that going to do for the LTL space? So a lot of different variety of different projects. But one of the projects that really caught my eye was taking an internal safety software that they created called Safety Box and trying to commercialize that. And Pitt, Ohio has an incredible history and record of safety. That's one of the things that has really set them apart within the industry. I mean, one of the highest awards that you can win in the trucking industry is the ATA's Presence Award. And fleets are only up to win that every four years. They're five times in a row now have won that award. Wow. And so for the better part of two decades, have really dominated the safety landscape. And a big part of that, it was this software that they created. And so obviously other fleets took, took notice of that. And so... Throughout that process, other fleets actually came and bought that software from them. And Pitt, Ohio quickly realized that, hey, we're, really, we're a really good trucking company, but so- selling software isn't necessarily the place we want to be. And so they looked to me to kind of put together a, some sort of proposal on what to do. And so that's where I started to really dive in and get a better understanding of what is the safety landscape? Who are the different players? What are the different integrations that would need to happen? How do you put together a platform, not just a product, but a platform? that really helps to change the landscape of safety. And in looking at that, there was just nothing in the industry and in the market that really addressed all these problems as a total package. And so this safety box product was a really good head start. And so we put together a proposal of, hey, you should spin this out and run it as its own separate software company. 
And so they said, fantastic, go do it. And so I actually had to take a step back and do a little soul searching myself and really start to think, is this what I want to do, right? Is this, is this where I want to spend the next 5, 10, 15 years pushing out? And after just looking at not only the wonderful opportunity that there is to really transform the industry, but the effect that we could have on the industry and the mission that we'd be able to accomplish and making sure that we can ensure the drivers come home safe every night. Like that was a huge calling card. And so at that point, I said, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. So we spun out, pulled on my, my other co-founders, Nick Bartell and Andrew Russell, and, and we got going. And then I'd like to say it took off from there. It was, it, that started the fun roller coaster ride. Certainly. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the psychology of a leadership team who enables this to happen. So not to ask you to speak on behalf of Chuck or any of the, yeah. the Pitt Ohio leadership, but the psychology of trying to keep something like that in-house. And I'm sure there was a humbling experience to that falling flat on its face to some degree. You kind of said they like they didn't want to or they weren't equipped to become that software company. But by spinning that out into its own separate thing, I'm sure they have some sort of arrangement as it pertains to the IP and ownership stake of Idelic. Yeah. But there's also a degree to which by spinning it out into that separate vehicle, you have access to different financing. You can build a culture that is optimized for the developer and the data scientist, as opposed to whatever kind of culture needed to be developed mm -hmm. here to supplement the safety yeah. and the customer service that Pitt Ohio was able to provide. So talk a little bit about like where those differences have to exist in yeah. order to build that separate entity. Yeah. So that was actually one of the things that, you know, obviously this is my first spin out, so I can't speak personally to other experiences, but just talking to others who've done something similar and just. I'm just amazed and impressed at the approach that Pitt Ohio took in giving us a lot of the support and help we needed just to make sure we were building the right product, we were on the right track, gave us all the access to their safety team, their executive team, really laid a good groundwork for us to have an impactful product. But then was very hands-off when it came to the day-to-day -day running and operation of the business, which was for us a fantastic line where we can go in and operate as a software company. We can go in and build something scalable that's outside of just Pitt, Ohio, that the entire industry can come in and actually use and take advantage of. We can add other things and other experiences from other fleets that might not, that might not come to fruition with just kind of a myopic view of a single fleet, right? So they were very, very good at that, at just letting us do our thing and let us run it as its own separate company. And that really helped the governance of the company and let us pick that direction where we wanted to go and really help us to scale. And also then just being a little bit more arm's length helped us with being able to kind of have the best of both worlds, right? So being able to say, look, we built by a trucking company for a trucking company. We have best in class pedigree with Pitt Ohio and their safety culture, yet they are still arm's length. They're a good customer and partner but they don't have data to the operation. So other fleets trying to buy the software don't have to worry about data share or a potential competitor getting access to their drivers, anything like that, right? So you have that good, you have that good barrier between the governance of the company and, and kind of the direction and, and yet still have that roots within trucking. Do you still have to deal with that objection though? Like, like certain other firms that you're selling into concerned that they may be yeah. having that large equity stake? Now we don't. And right now it is kind of, at this point, it's small equity stake. They, there's no board seat, no board governance, which they've been very, very helpful in staying tied into as a partner, but again, letting us run the company as we see fit, which is, 
which again has been super helpful. But no, we actually don't. And that's been a big positive, right? So a lot of times we'll go in and say, hey, look, we spun out of Hit Ohio. And one of the immediate reactions we get is, oh my gosh, like they're fantastic. They have a great culture. If you come from that stock, like we, that's already a leg up, which is really, really good. But then outside of that, I mean, it's just looked at as, hey, you've got a really good customer on board. But we also have other large enterprise fleets that are our customers as well, right? So we can kind of list the additional pedigree that we have as far as backing our product and our company. Right on. So to, to take things down to the ground level for an audience that is going to be a majority not within the logistics space. Sure. And we talked about safety, saving driver lives. I think macro meta, we can understand the value and <laughs> sure. why that is worth pursuing. But what is the software actually providing from an intelligence, from a tool-based standpoint to deliver this value for your clients? Yeah. So that's a great question. So, I mean, we really focus on the safety, compliance, and risk management teams at a trucking fleet. Right. So we have, we're in the process of building a driver mobile application. So we're trying to empower the drivers in the near future as well, but really looking at helping that back office safety team to better manage their drivers. And what that in turn translates into is a platform where the safety and risk management team members right now, they're in paper and spreadsheets. They have a ton of disparate systems where all this driver data lives. Right. But it's their job to understand who's most at risk, who's compliant, who's not, what do they need to do to train those drivers? How do they get them back on the road safely? How do they hopefully be proactive in that endeavor to try to get out in front of any particular incidents or accidents? And they're trying to do that across hundreds and thousands of drivers, right? So it's very, very difficult, just to say the least. I mean, they have a very difficult job. And so what our software, what our platform does is gets them out of paper and spreadsheets. And so they can now start to log and track all of those different all of those different records into our software, into the daily safety. So they're logging accidents, claims, injuries, work comp, OSHA, driver qualification files, all of your motor vehicle reports, like literally everything that is normally kind of in paper spreadsheets are now in our system. And then on top of that, we tie into all of the different third-party vendors through API integrations. So we're tying into their electronic logs, which gives you the hours of service, so how long they're driving, are they taking their rest breaks. We tie into the camera and event recorder, so we're getting hard braking, speeding, harsh cornering, lane departure, all those warnings are coming through. We're also getting, we're tying into HR systems, tying into learning management systems, we're tying into the FMCSA portal, which gives you violations and citations from inspections. Like All of these different third-party sources that they're normally having to log into, download, get data from, try to compile it, and they have to do that with every single one. We now have wow. API integrations into each and every one of those. So each one of those categories has a ton of different vendors. And so that's another one of the, one of the big benefits that we provide is we integrate with all those different vendors from all those different groups. And so now we have the most comprehensive data set around driver behavior, bar none, in the industry. And so with that data set, we have created machine learning, AI-enhanced predictive models to identify which drivers are most at risk to get into accidents. And one of the things that's interesting, taking this to, to my world of marketing, which is, okay, if someone is in this part of the country or that part of the country, or is from this ethnic background, identifies this gender, what have you, like that's not really enough. But when you build a very comprehensive mm -hmm. collection of those details, just like you outlined there, your capacity to deliver a message to that person and really motivate them to action is astronomically yeah. higher. And so similarly, you're not necessarily looking to like get the driver to purchase something from you, yeah. but you're desiring to motivate them and persuade them or help them to take better actions yeah. 
to protect themselves. And you have a lot of data to inform how to do that. Exactly. And so all that data is there. And we try to tee that data up to allow the safety teams at these fleets to understand who they need to train, why they need to train them, how they need to train them, and then give them the tools to actually administer that training, right? So once we use that data for the machine learning predictive analytics, we can produce a nice, simple, easy to understand watch list, right? And they can not only see what the driver's safety score is, but also why they have that score. What are the different factors that are driving that score? How much do each individual events can contribute to that overarching safety score? And then we can help them assign performance improvement plans, individual corrective actions, right? So they can go in and assign templated plans where, all right, this is my distracted driving plan. It's a four-week plan, three touch points a week. It kicks out all the tasks immediately to all the different terminal managers, driver safety managers, driver coaches, the drivers themselves, right? Kicks out all those tasks so everyone knows exactly what to do. You can track and manage whether those things are getting done, right? So it's that entire complete system that's from start to finish that completes that loop for the drivers to make sure that they're getting back on the road safely. Like that's the whole point of this. Because we, if we had a phenomenal predictive analytical tool, it, it doesn't make a difference if we don't give them something or give them a way to actually administer or change behavior with drivers, right? So that's the biggest piece. And so for us, we're, our whole goal is to help these fleets create a culture where drivers feel like they're being watched after and not watched over, right? And like that's a big difference. And, and so that helps obviously predict and prevent accidents. But that also helps with the driver turnover, which within the trucking industry is one of the biggest issues. Because you're looking at a driver shortage already in the industry where there's 200, around 200,000 drivers that could be at work within the industry, but there's just no drivers there, yeah. right? So you're already shorthanded, and then you have 80 to 95% turnover year over year on average across the board. Wow, I had no idea it was that high. It's astronomically high. And then on top of that, average cost to replace a driver is about $8,300. And Holy so, boy. yeah, so you're spending tens of millions of dollars for some of these, especially some of the larger fleets, they're spending tens of millions of dollars every year just to put butts back in seats, not to make their current drivers better, not to give better training, literally just to put another driver back in the seat. And so, I mean, we've talked to fleets who are 150, 200% turnover year over year. Wow. And so, the <laughs> yes, I didn't even know that was statistically possible, Yeah, but it is. So, I mean, so that's, again... Being able to now help them with driver engagement, driver retention, and really creating that culture where drivers want to stay has huge ramifications, not only on safety, but also on the bottom line, which is massive. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's such a staggering statistic to me that I'm like all the way down a rabbit hole of digression of like (laughs) what their recruiting mechanism must be in order to bring enough humans in the door. It's to fulfill that is actually like the fact that they're still in business is staggering. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, people are trying to do anything and everything to find an edge in driver recruiting and driver retention. I mean, you've got fleets who are starting their own driving schools and you and kind of handpicking out of those driving schools to get new drivers in. You've got fleets who have entire teams dedicated to nothing but driver recruiting to, to bring people in. Yeah. Right. And it's really staggering to see all that effort and they're really good at it and they're really fantastic professionals they're just at i mean they're at a disadvantage and so it's our job as vendors in the industry as kind of leaders to to try to provide tools to help them accentuate their safety culture and to really help them to better perform their day-to-day tasks certainly so part of the impetus for me to reach out to you guys the way you got on the radar was the eight million dollar series a that was just announced as the most recent raise for the company And there's a couple of things to unpack here. So we'll start with this. One of the tropes or the lines that you hear is about there's not 
there's not enough capital around the greater Pittsburgh area, or it's hard to fundraise as a startup, or these basic, I'm constrained by, mm-hmm. by my inability to fundraise. Mm-hmm. And clearly, that is not <laughs> the case for you in the present. But give us a little bit, shed a little bit of light into the process of whether you, obviously, Birchmere is here locally yep. in Pittsburgh, but mm-hmm. went to firms outside of Pittsburgh as mm-hmm. well. What that looked like, how you built that case, and, yeah. and what pit, what role Pittsburgh played in it. Yeah. So for any current or aspiring entrepreneur, I just want to be very clear: raising money anywhere at any time is very hard. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. And it takes a lot of really good people internally, just on your team. I mean, one, it was just helping you fundraise, but also making sure the company continues to function while you're fundraising. But then two partners within the boardroom and within your current investor group. Like, so Birchmere has been phenomenal. Right, I can't say enough with, I can't say enough about Sean Sebastian and their whole team because they were our very first investors. Right, them we had McCune Capital out of New York, which is a, a Jason Cahill's a CMU grad as well, and then M25 group out of Chicago. So that core group has been really helpful. Sean and their group here at Birchmere. Once we raised that first round, they teed us up with a bunch of introductions. Same thing with M25 out of Chicago. They're really good at that is teeing us up with other introductions around the VC community and with people that they've gone in with other they've co-invested in and you always hear like you have to have warm intros to VCs to to make it a good connection and that's in large part very very true. Yeah. <laughs> and so having that current investor group to to go out and help you get those intros is really important. But then you've got to have something that people are excited about. And so I can't tell you how many times we spent months putting together pitch and working with our entire team internally and then the board and getting what we thought was a really, really good direction and, and kind of vision for the next round. And then as we start going through the process of talking to 30, 40, 50, 60 different VCs and multiple different conversations as you go along with that, you have to start to iterate like on your pitch as well, right? Like as a startup, it's all about lean startup, but you iterate, you get a, you test a product, you get it out there, see what's working, see what's not, iterate quickly, fail fast, like that whole same mantra and mindset, you have to do the exact same thing with fundraising. Yeah. You have to get it. You have to get out of there, see what's resonating, see what's working, and then be able to iterate and tailor that pitch to help to. It's a little bit of a catch twenty two. It's help to expand and show you the big picture vision and why people should get excited and what the big exit's going to be and kind of what the next three stages of the company will be. But then also show that you're focused on now and hyper focused on your current growth and your current trajectory, and you're not trying to shotgun approach everything. So it's kind of finding that balance. And that's where a lot of that iteration comes from. And another element of it too, is just recognizing that you're effectively selling and looking for deals in the millions of dollars when you get to the series A level. So the entire pitch has to be tremendously tight and sure macro, there is dumb money out there that's swishing around. (laughs) I think we can all come up with examples of stuff like that in the news. But the reality is that most of these VCs are seeing dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of pitches. And they are pattern matching and looking for things that really stand out. And in this case, standing out means a lot of positive factors. So is there not just a talented team, but a team with domain experience? Mm -hmm. Is there a sizable enough market opportunity Mm -hmm. that it can give them the returns that they need for their fund? Is it a business model that is appealing? So B2B SaaS, very nice margins, very attractive as a type of business versus some other business models that are out there. And then also, as we've talked about earlier in this, is the perhaps lack or 
realizing this opportunity in an area where there isn't an enormous amount of competition. And yeah. I'm, as the VC, now tasked with maybe picking the winner yeah. or selecting who the winner will be in a kind of vicious fight. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think one of the things that, that we've seen, especially in a vertical play like we are, is trying to break out of the vertical with that big picture vision, yeah. right? And I think there's a lot of excitement around vertical SaaS plays, especially in sleepy industries who are tech lacking, for lack of a better word, but you know, who are kind of lagging behind and using technology and there's a lot of quote unquote disruption ability, right? To, to make that super specific to people who might not know what we're talking about with the vertical software is yeah. literally coming into a space where they are still using pen and paper. Because yeah. there's certain industries, there's people, particularly like a podcast type of audience, they're listening to this like, what? Like they were still doing that on pen and paper on 2018, 2019. Like that's oh, yeah. rating for other industries, but oh, that's yeah. the reality of Oh, 100%. Oh, I'd like to give you a little anecdote there. I mean, our first customer large medical distributor out of Chicago, $15 billion company. So really the largest medical distributor in the United States, they handed over 30 different spreadsheets. That's how they run their safety. They have a, they have a safety team of about 15 people. So very well capitalized on human side, right? They handed over 30 different spreadsheets, right? We heard war stories of someone left on vacation, left a spreadsheet open and no one can log an accident for 10 days. Like that's the world that we're living in, yeah. right? And it's crazy. Like we, I can't tell you how many companies we've gone into and they're like, oh man, I'm excited. I can get rid of all my paper files. I'm like, what do you mean all your paper files? And they pointed to six like huge pay filing desks where they're taking up like half of an office space. Just all of it's just driver qualification files or just past paper files. And like, oh, this is great. I can scan all these in and get rid of the paper. I'm like, what? you still have that? Like, it's amazing. I stopped being shocked at this point. <laughs> yeah. So so when we talk about the expansion, though, like safety is a very big deal. Yep. Safety is a very big thing. It is a difficult problem to solve. You're making progress. You are far from whatever end state that may be. Sure. But how does that expand out? Like p part of the vision of as you're pitching to these different VCs, what is what does that actually look like? Okay, we're starting here, but a yep. V2, a V3 looks yep. like. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different, a lot of different places that we're looking at going, right? So you've got different verticals within the same, within the same, I guess, kind of idea or same kind of product, right? So not just looking at class eight trucking, but also going into light duty vehicles, also going into buses to to all of your concrete trucks, your construction sites, and those types of other industrial vehicles, right? But then you also have looking at other industrial type of workers, right? So taking the same type of machine learning platform that we have for trucks, taking the same telematics and moving them to the actual workers, right? So there's a big movement for wearables. So being able to use that in warehouses or in construction sites where you're now looking and predicting injuries for the different drivers. And we, all, we already have OSHA and work comp compliance. And so being able to use that from a predictive standpoint as well. So being able to kind of parlay that same type of platform into other large industrial areas. But then for us, there's one of the things that we really focus on is some of the larger visions within trucking as well, right? So looking at taking that idyllic safety score for the driver and letting them use that as their credit score, right? So right now, drivers don't have a resume, right? You have all of this turnover, you have all of this shortage, but drivers don't have a good way to separate themselves from their peers. They have a two-year trailing motor vehicle report, which only shows what they got caught for. And then you've got two questions. Are you a felon? Can you pass a drug test? Like that is the screening process for truck drivers right now. And so it's very, very lacking. So you know, having that idyllic safety score transfer with the driver as they go from fleet to fleet. So creating that unified single industry standard of what is safe driving look like. And so now they can take that safety score with them as their resume. And so the drivers can actually now be able to differentiate themselves from their peers. The fleets 
get excited because now they can understand who they're hiring, but also once they do hire them, what training do they need to give them? Like what are the different areas that they might lack in and how do they tailor that training specifically to them right out of the gate? So that's one side. And then the flip side of that is the insurance piece. For us, that's yeah. that's really where we're excited about because we have all of the data that helps with that underwriting process. And right now, commercial auto is getting crushed. I mean, we've put out two or three blogs over the last month alone about fleets who've shut their doors citing higher insurance prices, right? And so it, insurance rates across the entire industry are just blanket going up because they have no, they, the underwriters have no other data to go off of. They're flying for, blind. Yeah, they're flying blind. They've got historical loss ratios and they're saying, all right, this is, we're getting killed. We're losing money. So let's just raise rates on everyone and that's how we have to do it, right? And so the better fleets aren't getting credit for that and the insurance companies need that data. And we've already been approached by several of them, but what we're looking at is essentially being able to create insurance products to help facilitate that movement, to understand which fleets are actually better than others, are actually safer than others. And a lot of it comes down to, yes, we have specific driver level data, which is really important. So we can give you kind of like the macro roll up of all of the driver level data. But what's also really important that we have is how the safety teams actually run their programs. So we have like, are they using their escalation process? Are they training their drivers? Are they getting the drivers off the watch list? Are they making sure that the compliance is up to date? Are they helping with ensuring that those runaway verdicts, those negligent supervision, negligent entrustment type claims are getting covered because they are keeping a standard process for their escalation of first warning, final warning, suspension, termination, like all of that is in place, right? They're doing what they need to do because where they get in trouble is having a driver get into an accident, but then they don't put the driver on trial. They put the fleet safety program on trial and say this big, put the fleet as the big, bad, big, bad, money hungry trucking company saying, look, you put dollars in front of lives. You don't do proper training. You don't do proper compliance. And they don't look at the case. They look at the company. Right. And that's where fleets get in trouble. Yeah. And so being able to have a platform that and then all the data around whether fleets are doing that or not. And then for us being able to really parlay that into the insurance side is really exciting. Yeah. And it also speaks to back, like you said before, why that independence is so important, because to be that trusted third party that an insurer or a carrier can look to with real belief. That is the essence of what your brand has to maintain and stand for within yeah, the industry. Exactly. And really, we try to keep it in the data, in the numbers, in the results, right? So we actually just finished up another case study where one of our, one of our first customers, looking at the year before versus the year after implementing our software, actually reduced their accident rate by about 52%. So they cut their accidents in half. Wow. And it, while also growing their driver base by 59%, right? So... They grew their fleet tremendously, cut their accident rates in half all within a year span. So what about this, though? What about this issue of you almost being like the well-kept secret for these characters? Like they don't want to tell anyone else about it <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. it is it's, like that's an insane competitive edge. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that first question goes back to Pitt, Ohio, right? So when they had this internal software that was yeah. so powerful for them, right? Like why would they want to let that out of the bag? And this speaks well to Chuck Hamill and to his entire team that the old adage that he said to us was rising tides lift all boats, right? So the industry as a whole oftentimes gets a bad rap. And so the, the you, and this is one of the things that Jeff Mergadan, VP of Safety here at Pitt, Ohio, has, has said many times, right? Like we might compete for freight, but we don't compete on safety, right? Like because it's your family, my family, everyone's on the road together with these trucks. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, it might be a competitive advantage, but it's not worth trying to risk someone's life for not helping them be safer. And so that whole mentality and mantra is something that the industry as a whole embraces wholeheartedly. And that's something that I've been incredibly impressed with. And one of the things that's really drawn me to the industry and really made me feel at home, which is great. And then on the other side of that is just when you talk about the data, right? So because we leverage the entirety of our customers' data pool for those machine learning predictive analytics, right? Like the more customers that get on, the more data we have, the better the, the better tool the tools them. becomes. Yeah. So there's that network effect, right? So it serves them to have other people come on. Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. Well, your energy and your passion for this is palpable. And I love pointing to characters like you as someone who can, like we said at the beginning, not a particularly sexy industry to get into. <laughs> but that you can find that within an industry like this and outside of whatever monetary or economic gains, positives that may create for you, the genuine enthusiasm that you're able to bring to this work, I think is a sterling example for any aspiring entrepreneur to have. Well, thank you. And well, we'd like to think that we are bringing sexy back to trucking, yeah. but you're right. I mean, you think of, especially in like the VC world, right? And startups, right? You know, autonomous is really big. So that has helped a little bit, but yeah, trucking is not sexy. At, at all. But it's such a big and complicated and nuanced industry that needs a lot of help. Yeah. And th the thing that I've really loved throughout this process is I'm originally from Kentucky. I'm a good old boy, right? And that's kind of the, I mean, trucking is the backbone of the country and it is full of really, really good, genuine people that just want to do right by the industry, by the world. They want to make a difference. They want to help. And so it's just a very inviting industry. And I've really enjoyed that. And it's resonated with me. And I think that's also helped us as a company build that culture as well, where our goal is to make sure drivers come home safe every night. That's the drivers that we watch over from a fleet perspective, but also every single one of us that shares the road with them, right? And that has really helped us to find phenomenal talent within not only the Pittsburgh area, but also abroad and be able to bring them here and to be able to kind of share that vision and get people who are just genuinely excited to be here, excited to work hard and to grind running, starting and working at a startup. It's not all rainbows and sunshines. You've got to, I mean, you swim through a pool of crap a lot. Yeah. But if you enjoy the people that you're, that you work with, like you can have fun doing it, which is great. And that's one of the things that I think that uh, as an executive team, we're most proud of is the culture that we've been able to build here. And that just personifies into the products and into what we can do for our customers. So let's latch on to that last thing before we do our standard last questions and let you go, is there is an impetus or a driving force or like a fire at your back, so to speak, of now that you've taken all this funding in, yep. the rate of growth, the trajectory yeah. has to become steeper. And that doesn't just mean revenues, that also means team size and scale yep. and location yep. and what have you. So talk a little bit as someone who is kind of in the eye of the storm and not aiming to be overly prescriptive, but just even speaking to, okay, the check cleared, it's in the bank account now, like I can look at it, I can yep. see it, but I have to be this allocator of capital basically yep. for a scale that you've never done before yeah. and how that's deployed against team building at that period of time. Like, what are you thinking? What Maybe even like, what are your pain points as it pertains yeah. to that reality? Yeah. And the thing, again, just startups in general, right? You're, you, it's high risk decisions made with very little data, Yeah. right? That's the old Dave Mawinney adage. And so that's, that's exactly what we're doing with hiring as well, right? So we sit down with our board and again, they're phenomenal. We've 
had a great, great working relationship with our entire board. We added the guys from Origin to that this last round, and they're fantastic as well. And so we obviously sit down with them, come up with a plan, look at, okay, where are we? Where do we need to be? All the different levers that we have throughout that process. And we kind of set that plan in, in place. But then the, the difficulty comes when things change, right? Like we're making decisions on a dime all the time. And so that, that goes and affects that, that runway and, and that change and the plan. And so it's really kind of making sure that we as an executive team and we as a company as a whole are all aligned with the vision that we have, which it, for us is bringing as many safe drivers onto the platform as possible. And so we've got those overarching company goals and visions, and we have to funnel that down into what do we need to be able to execute on that vision? And that breaks down in all, into all the different departments. We've done a really good job of putting together fantastic executive level leadership at each of those different department head functions. And so now that's the nice thing for me is I can rely on them to help me understand, look, what do you need, right? What do you need? And we'll make it work, right? And so then it's on us to just kind of pull the levers and make sure that we have everything kind of lining up, whether, you know, and so it's, and it's really kind of does run, I'm sorry, does revenues really line up with and continue to line up with the plan that we have? Great. Let's keep going. If not, then we tweak and we kind of make those updates. And so it's that live it's that live live tweaking and running as you go, which makes it fun. That whole build, jump off a cliff and build an airplane on the way down. Yeah, I feel it. I'm going to be rooting for you. I think everyone who listens to this is going to be rooting for you. Thank it you. is an exciting mission. And those that want to follow along, learn more, just keep tabs on, yeah. on what's going on with you guys. What digital coordinates can we point people towards that might want to learn more? Yeah, so idyllic.com, right? That's our main source. And you've got our careers page. We're always hiring. My goodness, we're always hiring. So so stay tuned. Yeah. And even if you don't see something on there. That's a cue though, like the LinkedIn profile that has like your name and then it just says we're hiring right after. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the cue of like the post fundraise CEO <laughs> if I've ever seen it. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly. And so if you don't, if you are excited about what we're doing, you're excited about the mission and would like to potentially jump in, like even if there's not a designated job posting, just ping us. Yeah, pro we probably need something in that area. Please just ping us because I'm, I've got three other job postings that are stuck on my final kind of <laughs> look out, look over before we post it. So yeah, that's so. so Idealic.com is huge. LinkedIn is a big one. We're on we're on Facebook and Twitter as well. But those are the big ones. Right on. We're gonna link that in the show notes. You can find it for this and every episode of the show at goingdeepwithaaron.com/podcast or in the podcast app where you're probably listening to this right now. But as we do at the end of each interview, Hayden, I want to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. I'm going to hit pause because I just realized I completely forgot to prep you for this. <laughs> so this is going to be a cut. You don't have to worry about that at all. <laughs> so this will not make the final edit. But the ending note of these podcast episodes is always issue a challenge to the audience. Mm -hmm. And the idea there is someone has just indulged and consumed media for 35 odd minutes now go do something. And that can mean almost anything. Yeah. Buy the person behind you in lines cup of coffee tomorrow morning. Yep. Go spend 20 minutes out in nature, no phone, no other people. Yep. Connect seven people in your network that might want to value from connecting with someone else. Yep. So your kind of platform to make that right hook, but not as it pertains to like the business, but just like, hey, there's people from yeah. all over yeah, doing yeah. all sorts of different things. What do you want them to do in the next day, week, or month? Yeah. I mean, it's probably, I mean, be cognizant of your truck drivers that are on the road. I mean, I they. Before coming into this industry, I had it's just a truck on the road, there's you know, idiots driving down, cutting people out. Like you have no understanding of what they actually go through on a day to day basis. And it's amazing it's astonishing that they perform the job that they do as professionally as they do it. And so please, my goodness, just give them some respect, give them some room, 
let them do their thing. And, and I mean, they're road warriors, man. They're really, really fantastic people. Yeah. It's like the, the Volkswagen effect. Like you buy a Volkswagen, you start seeing the Volkswagen yeah, all over the yeah. street. In, in prepping for this interview and then the ones with Chetton and Christy, it's like now I'm just always noticing the trucks are like, yeah. particularly when they're not on the highway. Like on the highway, yeah. not that you're not paying attention to them, but it's like standard yeah. to see them. But when one is barreling down some like narrow alley and they're like making some sort of sharp turn, it's actually staggering yeah. that's getting done on a regular basis. It's, it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Like they they are so good. And so like we so like the ATA, which is the American Trucking Association, the National Private Truck Council is another one. They all have their kind of the annual conferences and their annual awards, banquets and things like that. And they always recognize their all-star or hall of fame drivers, right? And it's just staggering to see what they do. I mean, two million, two and a half million, three million miles driven with no moving accidents, no violations. Some of them don't even have telematic alerts, right? Like I've never had a hard braking event. Like wow. it is astonishing that, and these guys just have been doing it for a million miles is generally 10 years, 10 years of driving, yeah. right? Sometimes more depending on how far you drive. And so it's going for 20, 30 years without an accident, without a violation, without a speeding ticket, nothing, yeah. right? These guys are good at what they do. And it's amazing. Like I said before, the passion is palpable. <laughs> I love it. I know that everyone out there loved it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. We just went deep with Hayden Cardiff. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for watching to the end of my interview with Hayden. It is a really exciting company that he's building. And I'm curious of other industries or areas that you think are yet to be disrupted by software. I know it was a little shocking to hear that some people were still working off of pen and paper, but I'm curious. Let me know in the comments below industries that need to be disrupted.